most important thing is that you make progress. And so that's where people will find more ambition. That's where they're kind of, will win the battle of the brain chemicals. Done is the engine of more. So if you start to get things done and you make progress, progress is what's invigorating. Progress moves you forward. Progress keeps you happy. Done is fun. And so really it's picking that point B, but then putting some things in place. I call them results machines. Things that can run almost on automatic pilot. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have an amazing guest. We have Blaine Alkers here with us. Blaine, please tell us who you are and what's your mission. And yes, my name is Blaine Alkers. I'm uh, actually in Phoenix, Arizona. Happy to be on the Australian podcast. I'm America's uh, only chief results officer. So basically help people get stuff done. I think that I'm on the planet here. God has put me here to help people take control of their lives by taking control of themselves. That's kind of uh, what I think my divine mission is. So I've been doing that now pretty steady here for the last 14 years. And I really do enjoy helping people with what I would call personal implementation. I have a company called Self-Fluence, which is basically the power you already have to influence yourself. It's not that you need anything new, but God's given you everything you need. You have it right there. You just might not be using it to its best effectiveness. So I come alongside of you and uh, help you do that. Oh, I love that. You know, I have to tell you what got me. When I read that it said in your bio, America's chief results officer, I said, I have to talk to him. Because we all need more results, Lane. Thank you for that intro. What led to this? I probably had two moments of dawning comprehension that really kind of changed my life. The first one was when I was in college. So I was in college and I saw this little ad. Now, I've always been, and maybe some of the listeners are like this, I always felt like I've been a seeker, like trying to seek out knowledge, figure out, you know, how could I make myself better? And I saw this ad for an audio cassette tape, so kind of dating myself a little bit here, (laughs) but an audio cassette of this book called Think and Grow Rich. And so it's a pretty famous book. Many people might have heard about it. So I sent away for this audio tape. It was actually a reading of the book by Earl Nightingale kind of pretty cool. He ended up being one of my mentors. But I read that book. And when I read that book in college, I realized, and later I came up with a saying called White Table, what you think about, you bring about. But I realized that it was my thoughts that kind of dictated what happened in my life. And so I realized that there was a little bit of a systematic process of controlling your thoughts, but then directing your thoughts and your mind, your conscious mind and your subconscious mind towards the things that you really wanted to do. So that was kind of dawning comprehension moment too. And that served me well in my life. I actually met my wife in college. Uh, We've been married 30 years now, so success even there as well. But for me, then the second thing which led me on this path to self-discovery was my degree was in computer science and I was working a corporate job and I came back from a business trip And my son, Bo, he was one year old at the time. He was kind of like giving me the cold shoulder when I got back. And I said, Beth, what's going on with Bo here? Why is he giving me the cold shoulder? And she said, well, you were gone so long, he kind of forgot who you were. That hit me like emotion. That hit me hard. And I realized that. And I thought, you know, when I was a kid, I'd come home. Both my parents worked. And I'd come home. If my brother wasn't there many times, I'd come home to the empty house. All these feelings welled up inside of me. And that moment of dawning comprehension led to a clarifying decision. And that night I said, 
no matter what, I'm going to be a work from home dad. I'm going to cut away all the other options and I'm going to figure out how can I work from home. So it took me a year. I started a couple of businesses and it took me a year and we to save up enough money and kind of make the jump. And then we had a second child on the way. But a year later, I broke free from the nine to five job. And that was 27 years ago. So now the kids are grown and out of the nest. But what that did is that afforded me time to do more self-development. When I got rid of that 50 hours a week I was putting in the job, uh, yes, I was building a business, but I was building businesses that didn't have any daily operations. And I had the time to invest in self-development. And I realized through that time and through some prayer that I was here to help people with personal implementation, with getting more stuff done personally. And I had some friends of mine, we were in a mastermind group together, which is kind of a collection of people that come together to help each other out. And they said, look, why don't you be our results person, be our mindset person? I said, oh, that sounds like something I'd like to do. I started doing that for these mastermind groups, which I still do today, as well as do this for business owners. But they started calling me the chief results officer because I put together frameworks and master classes and teachings and accountability structures so that they were getting stuff done every week. So they called me that. And then I said, well, that's a cool title. I will accept that title. Uh, and then I went to the uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office. And I said, look, this is a unique term. I hadn't heard it before. Could I have the registered trademark, which is like an R with a circle on it? And so I was granted that. So now I can say I'm America's only chief results officer. So that might have been longer story than you wanted, but you got the full story. Oh, that's very, very interesting. Because I said, I definitely want to know how he got to this point. Blame a lot of people, myself included, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners we struggle with that. Everybody wants results, but actually getting results, that's a whole nother thing. How do we shift our mindset from sort of being dreamy visionaries to being people who are results people? I would say our lives are filled with information and maybe now, thanks to the internet, filled with knowledge, right? But knowledge is not transformation. Implementation brings transformation and you have to take some action to move forward. And I think that for most people, you need to kind of get in touch with your ambition, right? What is your level of ambition? So that's kind of like, what is the level of passion around what you're doing? And if the level of ambition is not high, then maybe you may be pointed in the wrong direction. And typically when people get pointed in the right direction. Now, now realize that destination, you can't change overnight. I can't just go from $10,000 in sales to you know $50,000 in sales immediately, but I can change my direction immediately. I find if people don't have a lot of ambition, they're probably pointed in the wrong direction. And once you point in the right direction towards something that is exciting to you, that you you know have a high level of ambition for, you know, then I think maybe even divinely you're kind of getting lined up with God's vision for your life, maybe, or spiritual power, whatever you, you believe in. But when you get that, when you find that, then you have this burning desire to move forward towards that, to make progress. I often talk about it as going from point A to point B. You know, how do I get from point A to point B? You draw the letter A and then you draw a line with an arrow and then you draw the letter B. And so if you get that in your mind, the first thing, the most important part out of those three, now there's three components there. There's the destination where you want to be, then A is where you are today, and then the line is the journey. And it's interesting, I do a lot of workshops. I'll write that up on the board or you know on the overhead or whatever. And then I'll say, what's the most important out of those three? 
And there is a right answer. Typically, 10% of the people will say A, maybe 40, 50% of the people will say B, and then 40 or 50% of the people will say the line, the journey. Initially, now they're all important, but initially that point B is the most important because, and the way you figure out what's most important is let's say you can only have one of them. And so let's say all I have is A. So I know exactly where I am today in life, but I don't know where I'm going. I have no point B and I don't know how I'm going to get there. I have no journey, right? So you, you can't do anything. You're just stuck, right? If you only have the journey, now sometimes the journey people are happy, but the journey people, they don't have A, so they don't know where they are, but they don't have B. They don't know where they're going. They could be happy. They could be happy along the journey, but they really don't know where they're going or where they've been. But if you only have B, So all I know is where I want to go. I don't really know where I am. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But because you know where you want to go, you can turn, face that, and begin to move towards it. So I think for people, the initial part of results is raising your level of ambition by picking a point B, something that's exciting to you, something that you're willing to get up 30 minutes early for, stay up late, and move the needle towards. Now, once you get that, once you determine what you want, then it's important for you to go back that point A, you know, where am I today in this journey? And then the most important thing is that you make progress. And so that's where people will find more ambition. That's where they're kind of, will win the the battle of the brain chemicals, right? Done is the engine of more. So if you start to get things done and you make progress, progress is what's invigorating. Progress moves you forward. Progress keeps you happy. Done is fun. And so really it's picking that point B, but then putting some things in place. I call them results machines, things that can run almost on automatic pilot to help you go towards those goals. I'll give you an example of one, one of my favorite results machines is next day planning, right? Next day planning. So that is never let a day end without planning the next one, right? And so if you get into the habit, we could talk about how to create habits, but once you get in the habit of next day planning, when you wake up, you're ready to go and you have your day somewhat mapped out. And I don't say map out every minute of the day, but the idea of next day planning puts you in the driver's seat for tomorrow and you're less likely to have your day hijacked. You're more likely to get the things done you want to get done and you're doing some pre-decisions, right? So you're figuring out when I wake up, what am I going to do first? That's a big one. How you start the morning and the morning routine is big. But anyway, again, there's a bit of maybe a longer answer than you wanted, but I really wanted to kind of break that down for people to figure out how do you get motivated? How do you get started and then how do you move towards that goal i wanted you to just keep talking because i was just getting so much from it (laughs) so thanks for that plane i mean just the fact that you said raising your level of ambition and done creates more creates fun but the way you said it makes sense that feeling of accomplishment and progress that's the fun. Yeah, that's the fun. And that's, you know, finishing is fun and progress neurologically, brain chemical wise, you get a little hit of dopamine and some serotonin as you get stuff done. So the trick there in influencing yourself, what I call self-fluence is to make sure that you're making progress, even if you have to chunk it way, way down to what I call a nano goal, which is a goal that you can complete in just minutes. I want people to win early and to win often. So someone, let's say they set a goal for something simple like exercise and they say, Blaine, I'm going to exercise 30 minutes a day. I go, hey, hey, that's great. Let's go do it and let's get together in a week. So a week goes by and they said, well, I exercised for 30 minutes, two days, then I didn't do it. So I stopped it the rest of the week. And so what I would say there is don't lose. Instead, 
nano size the goal, make it smaller, right? So if you can't do 30 minutes, maybe you can do 15. If you can't do 15, maybe you can do 10. If you can't do 10, maybe five. If you can't do five, I usually cut it off at three minutes. Everybody has three minutes, you know, for exercise. And maybe that's just some jumping jacks and a, and a couple of push-ups and a plank before you get into the shower. Or maybe it's you're watching TV and you just go into a plank and you just hold the plank for five minutes, right? There are ways to do it, but make sure you keep winning because it's in that that little streak of wins that you begin to gain confidence, gain kind of self-integrity by keeping those commitments to yourself. And then when the streak gets like three or four days in a row, then it starts to have psychological power and you don't want to break the streak. And I talk about, you know, streaks and consistency are important to kind of what you say to yourself and the confidence that you have in yourself. Because I'm that person that says they're going to work out for 30 minutes and it never, ever, ever happens. But if I did three minutes, I know I'd be like, man, I'm better than three minutes. I can do four. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, and that's a good thing because now you're, instead of working against you with kind of the self-defeating thoughts, you're working for you saying, wait, I did three. I can do four. And a lot of times people will end up doing 10 or 15 minutes, but they have to lower the resistance so low that their brain doesn't intervene. Right. You know, that's why I'll say even one minute, one minute of exercise or meditation or whatever new habit you're trying to figure out. We could also talk about creating new habits as well, because I think habits are so important. I have something called the 21 second habit, which is how to create a new habit in 21 seconds not 21 days. There's a couple of key frameworks there. I usually tell people the story about my wife, Beth. Uh, This is good that she doesn't have this anymore, but she used to have nearly migraine headaches nearly every day, these migraine headaches. And it was kind of like debilitating. So the doctor said, hey, look, Beth, here's this log. You got to fill this out every day, the headache log. Like, what did you eat? What do you think the triggers were? What was the weather like? What was the barometric pressure? Like all these things. And she could do it for a couple of days, two, three days. Then she'd forget to do it. She's human, right? Then she would lose the log. Then we couldn't even find the headache log. And it was really frustrating for her. And then one night I was watching her brush her teeth. And I noticed that she brushes her teeth for two minutes, just like the dentists say. And she does it every morning and every night without fail. So the first key to the 21 second habit is to habit link the new habit to a habit that you're already a habit master at. And there's a lot of things you do every single day. You don't have to think about it. No willpower required. I didn't have to tell her to brush her teeth. So what we did is we took the headache log and we put the toothbrush and the toothpaste on top of it. And so while she brushed her teeth, she filled out the log and she went from two to three days and then losing it to 90 days in a row of filling out that log without missing a day. Because every day she was right there. She knew where the log was and she was brushing her teeth without any willpower or anything. So the first thing is habit linking to something that you're already a habit master at. Uh, And now today, actually, she rarely has a migraine, one every couple of months, which is fantastic. The second part to the 21 second habit, give you an example of myself. So I, after I noticed her doing that, I said, okay, let me test this out. I want to start two new habits. One is I want to do this Bible app every single day, first thing in the morning. And two, I was taking a physical shower, but I wanted to take a mental shower. I want to take a mind shower where I wanted to spend some time cleaning my mind, taking out the head trash from social media and news media and family and friends who don't understand what the chief results officer does and all these kind of negative things. I wanted to do that every single day. And so what I did is I thought, okay, what could I have it linked to? What do I do every morning 
And I don't need any willpower to do that. And I realized that it was this thing right here was my smartphone. And so sometimes the alarm goes off today because you're in Australia and I'm in the United States. I did wake up from the alarm, but it was my phone was the first thing I touched every single day. So I said, okay, I'm going to habit link to the first time I open my phone each morning. So what I did is I, I moved all the apps off the home page. So when I opened up my phone, I would see this Bible app and an app called Headspace, which is a meditation app to do the mind shower. And I said to myself, I'm going to do those things the first time I open my phone. Now, here's the second key to the 21 second habit. First is habit linking. The second is you need to kind of surf an urge to want to do something to give yourself the energy and the drive to do the new habit. So for me, like when I open my phone, like why do I open my phone first thing in the morning? Well, I want to see, did my kids text me? Do I have any emails? Did any orders come in? What's going on in the world? You know, I want to check social media. There's all these things. I have these urge to want to do all those. And I surf that urge by saying, okay, I can't do any of that stuff until I do this item. Now, I like a 10-minute mind shower, but you know, again, if I'm short on time, I'll do a three-minute one, right? I'll just nano-size that goal. So for me, now today was like day 1536, I think, in a row that I've done that habit because no willpower is required and I have it linked it and then I surf the urge. And the last part that you can do to the 21-second habit is you can add leverage. And what I mean by that is that We are very pain and pleasure motivated people. And so if you can add in some pleasure or some pain to you keeping that habit, it does help you stay with the habit. So for example, you can say, look, if I do my mind shower, my Bible app 30 days in a row, we're going to go out to dinner, right? Or something like that. If you involve other people, that helps with the accountability. But you give yourself some kind of reward for producing a streak. And then the opposite of the reward, the pain, is there's some kind of leverage, right? So maybe I make a deal with my wife and I say, Beth, if I miss this habit, then I have to do something for you, right? Whatever that is. Maybe she wants me to scrub the floors or wash out the garbage cans or whatever it is, some something I hate to do. So you have that leverage on yourself. All those things work together to reduce that resistance, which is that's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that, Blaine. We always think we never have enough time to do anything. Right. Okay. So again, I often say powered by self-fluence. It's all about you kind of taking control, uh, power that you already have. So it's not something new. Like with the 21 second habit, you already a habit master, like my wife unbrushing her teeth or myself opening my phone every day, right? I don't have to think about it. I'm already a habit master at so many things. And it's the same thing with the 30-minute hour. So the 30-minute hour, how to get an hour's worth of stuff done in 30 minutes. So you're compressing time. Again, this is something you already know how to do. You don't have to learn anything new. You've already done it before. And it's very powerful. Now, it's so powerful that I want to make sure, I'm going to want to ask you a question because I want to make sure that we use this new power for good and not for evil. And so what I like to do is let's say that you and I had four 30-minute hours in a row. So we got four hours worth of stuff done in just two hours. Now that leaves us with two hours of guilt-free time. Now, what I want to do is I want to make sure that you don't use this time just to work more. So I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a type A. I would just say, let me go get more work stuff done. But let's say you're not going to do that. You're going to have two guilt-free hours. I'm going to ask you what you would do. For me, right now, I like my Peloton bike. So that's here in my home office. So I might take a a scenic Peloton bike ride. I also like to get out and hike. So I might go out for a hike. I also like to connect with old friends 
and I feel like I don't do that enough. You know, I get too busy. So I probably connect with little friends. And then I work from home. So I do like the good old fashioned nap, uh, you know, 15, 20 minute nap. I might do that with my guilt free time. So what about you? What would you do if you had two hours of guilt free time? I love to read. And I feel like since being a mom, being an entrepreneur and everything, I hardly have enough time to read as much as I would like to. I'd always like to spend more time playing with my kids. I think that's what I would do with that extra time. Okay. So now people, once we show you this power right now for the 30 minute hour, you're going to have that power. And I hope that you use it for good. I hope that you put just a little piece of these things that you cherish that you would do on this guilt-free time, put some of those back into your life. All right. So now this idea of the 30 minute hour, how would get an hour's worth of stuff done in just 30 minutes is based on, there's a day of the year and some, some people, this day occurs more than once in a year, but there's a day where the average person is three to 10 times more productive than their normal day. So now that's 3x to 10x. Now we're only looking for 2x. We're only looking to go from 60 minutes down to 30. We're looking for a 2x thing, but this is 3 to 10x. So do you know which day it is where people are 3 to 10 times more productive than a normal day? Is it a Monday? <laughs> Priscilla's like, I didn't think there was going to be any quizzes here today. That day, this is going to be self-evident. Again, this is to show you that you already have the power. You already know how to be uber productive because that day is the day before vacation. So the day before vacation, people are three to 10 times more productive than they are in any other day. Let's talk about that. And so what I want people to remember is, uh, and I created a little acronym, PDF. Now people think when you say, oh, email me the PDF or print out the PDF, people know that acronym PDF, which in the tech world stands for portable document format, which is weird. But but anyway, that's not what it stands for for us. But I want you to think, when you think of the 30-minute hour, think of day before vacation mode, and then think of PDF. And PDF stands for plan, delegate, and focus. Let me unpack why this day is so different and how you can use that day to have these 30 minute hours. So the first one is planning. When you're going on vacation, that day before vacation, you plan that thing out way more than you plan out a normal day. So if you'll use planning, planning will get you some 30 minute hours right away. So I like next day planning, which is I never like a day to end without planning the next one. So I do it at night. And typically with the day before vacation, you do plan it the night before. The other interesting thing is on the day before vacation, people wake up 30 to 60 minutes earlier than a normal day. So that can give you a 30 minute hour, wake up 30 minutes earlier. So you might want to do that. You typically wake up early, but you have a very clear vision for the day and you're using the 80-20 rule, right? So the 80-20 rule, that Pareto principle, that states that 20% of what you do produces 80% of your results. And on the day before vacation, you're doing all this like high value, have to get it done stuff. And you're focusing in on the 20 and you're kind of ousting the other 80, the stuff that is more trivial, that doesn't produce results. You oust that. So planning is a big one. I have a little card in my office here, a day before vacation mode to remind me when I'm planning or when someone asks something from me, I always try to cut it in half. For example, you know, if I'm thinking, okay, I need to finish writing this article and it's going to take me an hour, I'm going to say, let me try to do it in 30 minutes, right? Or someone says, Blaine, could we meet and could we brainstorm on this new project for an hour? And I'll say, look, can we do it in 30 minutes? 
And nine out of 10 times, people will say, yeah. And even if we don't get it done in 30 minutes, they know time is precious because I'm kind of compressing time on them through my planning of whatever I'm doing. I'm compressing time on myself, but also on other people in the outside world. So that's planning. That's the P. The D stands for delegate. So on the day before vacation, you're about to go away and you become really good at delegating, right? I can't do it. I'm going to be gone. Someone's got to do this. Someone's got to do that. Someone's got to take over this. Do more delegation. I often say, think who before do, right? Think who before do. So before you go do something, think who else could do this thing? Because that's what you're doing on the day before vacation and you're delegating and you're deferring a lot. My wife, you know, she also works from home. She'll be going out to run errands. You know, and she'll say, hey, Blaine, is there anything I can do for you? And I'm like, oh, man, here comes a 30-minute hour. If you'll take this to the post office, can you go to the bank? Can you pick this up? You know, she'll do those things, and she gave me that 30-minute hour because I delegated some stuff to her. So look for those ways to delegate. And the third way and the most powerful way is the F. So it's plan, delegate, focus. You have this weird, super powerful, fierce focus on the day before vacation, think of all the things you don't do. There's no chit chat. There's no long surfing the internet. There's no chasing of shiny objects. Like you are undistractable on that day before vacation. You have this fierce focus. So bring some of that into your normal day, right? The most powerful word on the day before vacation only has two letters and it is the word no. I have this little sign to remind me of day before vacation mode so that I say no more often. On the day before vacation, someone say, hey, Blaine, can you do this? No, no, no. I'm going out of town. No, no. I can't take on any more stuff. No, 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 no. And I become a no master, right? So you want to do that. And that avoids what I call the 90-minute hour. So a lot of times people say, can I have an hour of my time? And it takes 90 minutes where instead of a 30-minute hour, the hour goes to 90 minutes and takes more time. But no condenses that and keeps you clear. So you say no. The other big thing, the day before vacation on a focus level, you stay on schedule better and you tend to use reminders and timers. I'm going to work on this thing for 30 minutes, not an hour. So I'm going to set a timer, right? Or a reminder to say, start working on it in my phone, but I'll also set a timer, right? I'll tell Siri to set a timer for 30 minutes and I'm using schedule and reminders all day long. And you can get some 30 minute hours just from doing that. The other thing is that on the day before vacation, you become what I call a tasking master. And this is one of the best ways to have 30-minute hours is that you become really good at the three types of tasking, single tasking, multitasking, and batch tasking. So let's talk about single tasking. Single tasking is where you're going to do something that only you can do. What you need to do is you need to create a very high output, distraction-free environment for that single tasking. I write a lot of articles. And so like I said earlier, let's say I have an hour's worth of article writing to do, I can get an hour's worth of article writing done in 30 minutes if I will completely, completely shut out the world for that 30 minutes. No distractions. So what do I mean? Airplane mode on my phone. It's not just for the airplane. I go into airplane mode. I shut the door to my office. I shut all the screens down except the one screen that I'm working on where maybe I'm typing that thing. I really shut out the world. No rings, dings, and bang. It takes me a few minutes to kind of get into the zone, but then I'm in the zone for a good 25 minutes out of that 30 minutes. So single focus is the best way to work. And you know, setting up boundaries so that that single focus time can be single focused and you're not distracted. Now, you might get a little monkey mind, a little squirrel mind, and ideas will come in. But when that happens, 
just have a piece of paper handy. I have a, a pile of scrap paper here on my desk and I'll just write that thing down. It takes a second because it came into my mind. I don't want to lose it. And then I put it aside and I go right back to single tasking mode. So single tasking is really, really big and you can push yourself to get an hour's worth of stuff done in 30 minutes all day long with single tasking. That's probably the one that generates the most for me. But multitasking gets a bad rap. But it's when you can do two things at the same time without, this is the key, without sacrificing the quality of either one, right? So think about like on the day before vacation, let's say I have a 30-minute drive someplace. If it's not the day before vacation, I might just like rock out to 80s music. But if it is the day before vacation, I'm going to say, wait, 30 minutes. I can make two phone calls during that time that I need to make. So I'm going to make those phone calls. I've got a hands-free phone. It's very safe. But I can do a high-quality phone call in my car. It's pretty quiet. And I can do high-quality driving at the same time. That's multitasking, right? So if I have an hour's worth of stuff done, but I do an hour's of calls and an hour's of driving, you know, I just had a 30-minute hour, right? A lot of times that can be extra exercise, going for a walk. You could also listen to an audiobook, right? Or if you're doing chores, you could be doing something else with your mind at the same time. So looking for things that you can do where you can do two things at the same time without sacrificing the quality. And then the third and final one is batch tasking. And so on the day before vacation, you run efficiently and you naturally batch things together, right? So if you have three errands to run, you don't run an errand, come home, run an errand, come home, run an errand. No, you batch all the running of the errands together. If you have phone calls to make, you're going to be more efficient, have 30-minute hours by batching those calls together. If you have some work to do on the computer, if you do that all together, by batching the things that go together together, you can have a 30-minute hour. The other thing is you can also batch people. You get really good at putting up the boundaries for batching. I'll give two examples. One example is like my wife and I, she also works from home. I could be interrupting her all day with stuff. She could be interrupting me, but instead we batch it. So we have a shared note in our iPhone that we add stuff to, and then typically we have lunch together. So we batch things for the context. When we are together, then we kind of go through the list. Like I'm not texting her stuff. We used to text each other, and then I'd get a text notification, and then I'd be distracted, right? So you batch this interaction with people together, and that also works in the office extremely well. Because if you say, look, when I come into the office from 9 to 11, I'm going to be in single tasking mode. Leave me alone as best you can, unless there's a fire, you know, leave me alone. And then at 11 o'clock from 11 to 1130, let's all get together and answer the questions of the day. And then maybe at 3.30 or 4.30, we'll do it again. So you batch that time, you put boundaries in place so that the work can happen. And the real key is that outside of that time, you're not being interrupted. So that's batch tasking. And you can also use, you know, apps to speed things up. Maybe I talk too fast, but a lot of podcasts I can listen to at 1.3 speed or something like that to save time. So there's some technology that can save you time watching TV shows without commercials, uh, things like that. And the last thing is about the day before vacation, some of the power, some of the magic happens because the day before vacation releases your inner perfectionist, right? So the day before vacation releases your inner perfectionist. Done is better than perfect. You can't get it perfect. You can't do it all. You have this limited time. And so you let things get done as best they can, or you delegate it and you know, they're not going to do as good a job as I could do it, but 80% done is better than not started, right? You release that inner perfectionist. You let things get done, be done and be delegated. That is the 30 minute hour. Think day before vacation mode and then think PDF plan, delegate, 
focus. Oh, that's so good. I think I'm going to have to listen to this again. And I think the audience is going to have to listen to this again because there's so many things to take away from this. Thank you so much for your time, Blaine. I always ask, what is the number one book, whether it's personal development, productivity, or whatever it is that you would recommend to a new entrepreneur? It has a claim that it created more millionaires than any other book in business. And that is the book that I mentioned earlier, Think and Grow Rich. But to finish the story about Think and Grow Rich, I have the book I read in college. So I got that audio tape and then I actually read this paperback book, Think and Grow Rich. And like I said, I had some success in life. I met my wife and in business. And I made enough money that I ended up buying this book of Think and Grow Rich, which is one of the first 5,000 copies. This is one of the original copies. What was interesting is when I opened up the very first page, it says, you know, what do you want most? And so I read that page and I go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second here. That wasn't in this book. And I realized that the original book was different. And what was interesting for me is the first two pages were the instructions on how to read the book, which I had never read before. And I followed those instructions. And at the time, my business was my business was worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe like $300,000. And I really wanted to own a million dollar business, a business that was worth a million dollars. And I thought, you know, it might take me five years or something to really build it up based on how it had built initially. But within five months, not five years, my business was worth a million dollars because I followed those instructions, which I can unpack those instructions for you. But then what happened for me is that I couldn't find the original version. And so luckily, the real original version was in the public domain. And so uh, the book I would recommend is Think and Grow Rich, the book study edition. My name is at the top. So what I had to do is I had to create what's called the derivative work. So I took the original and I preserved it. And then I added a book study at the beginning and end of each chapter. I help you have a book study of the book because it's more like a textbook. It's a lot of stories, but it's very applicable type stories. And then I had written a guidebook. I add that in. So it's kind like three books in one. It's the original Think and Grow Rich, but then it's also a book study and it's also my guidebook. So that would be the book that I would recommend for people. I read it every year. I've read it close to 70 times now, I think. It's a book that I go back to time and time again. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you because when I saw you said there were some pages that were missing, and I have to admit this, Blaine, and people are going to crucify me for (laughs) for admitting this. I really struggled to read Think and Grow Rich, and I know it's like a classic, but I really struggled to get it. I couldn't get it. It was written 100 years ago, right? So some of the English and some of the things are a little tricky. I do like the original version. It has just a little more kind of flavor and life to it when you read the original way that he wrote it. It is sometimes older English and older stories. You have to see through that a little bit. But the other thing I like is that in the beginning, that page I showed you, he says, what do you want most? And he says, before you read the book, before you start reading, bring to the reading of the book some what I call bring about, like what you think about, you bring about. That's my little saying, but what are you trying to bring about in the world, right? And bring that to the reading of the book. So the lens with which you read the book and apply the book is towards your own like personal bring about statement, whatever that is. You know, it says think and grow rich. Rich can be money, could be finances, but it could also be being a good mother or, you know, health. It's whatever the riches that you want or harmonious relationships. He gives a lot of examples that are not money. He talks about money too, but he gives a lot of examples outside of that. The lens in which I was reading it was completely off when you bring a certain intention to it, then the book has got meaning rather than to just take the words. And now I know I said, I'm going to ask you one more question, but I'm going to ask you to briefly 
give us an idea of like what's missing from the book that we're reading from Amazon. <laughs> the biggest thing were these first two instructional pages. And so the first page we kind of talked about, it says, I want you to get very clear Like, what do you want most? Spend some time, go for a walk in nature, pray, whatever you have to do to begin to figure out. And it's okay. You don't need a perfect answer. You just need an answer for today. Like for today, what do you really want from life? Or what do you think God's desire for your life is, right? What do you really want? Spend a little time and pick something and then move forward. And as you move forward with it, you might have to adjust it or it might get bigger or smaller. That's okay. But you have to figure out what drives you? We talked about earlier the ambition, right? What brings you that fire of desire where you get excited about it and you're willing to wake up early and go do it? So that's the first thing is a laser focus on what are you trying to bring about? And he likes specifics, like very specific, maybe size of business or how many people you're going to serve. The more specific you can get, the more your subconscious mind can help you. So that was missing page number one instruction was that. The second page was all about how to read the book. I did that all wrong, only a chapter a day, no more than one chapter a day, so that your brain can absorb it. That was a big key. But the other thing, and this is what made all the difference for me, is he said you had to read it with other people. Like almost, he called it a study club or a mastermind group. You need to read the book with other people. And when you read it, he gives like very specific instructions. Read the chapter aloud, like with other people. You read, somebody reads or you take turns. You read the chapter aloud and then you talk about how the chapter applies to your bring about statement. And everybody in the room has the opportunity to say, well, you know, Priscilla, I think this would be good for you. Like they pour into your bring about statement and you pour into their bring about statement. So anyway, that's the real key is to read it with other people. It could just be one other person. And I created the book study edition to make it easy to read it with other people or to have the book study virtually with me, right? Because I'm giving you kind of my take on each chapter. So you have that, but you have to read it together. So those are the missing instructional pages. And then it's the way that you read the book. Do you take the action steps that he talks about? And there were some chapters that were changed, maybe for political correctness. I don't know, but there were things that were taken out of that book. And that was around different people that affected his life. And so some of that, I think, in the reading of the original book, you get a deeper flavor of who influenced Napoleon Hill as well. That sounds amazing. I have to give it addition and really get a deep understanding because I said, how can I be failing to understand a classic? Crazy. But right. now I know. And I don't feel so bad because you told me <laughs> something was missing. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know, Send me your address and I'll, I'll send you a copy of the book for sure. Uh, uh, thank you so much for that. Thanks, Wayne. Well, my last question is always, what has faith meant to you on your journey? I feel like I was kind of one of the lucky ones because when I was a kid, I was in my backyard and I was lying in the grass and I was kind of looking up at the blue sky. At a young age, I just felt like God was there looking up through the trees and it was green and then the blue sky, the sun was out. Maybe it was just that moment, but I had this feeling that God was there, that God was with me. And that feeling has stayed with me. So I've kind of stayed spiritual and I stayed going to church, even through college and things where a lot of times people drift. And I've stayed with my faith and I felt like God was there. And when things weren't going well, God was still there teaching me, helping me to learn what I needed to learn. And then as I 
opened up my life to him more, then I started to realize that, yeah, why am I here? And it's to help people take control of their lives by taking control of themselves. And as I did more of that, like I got happier and I had more success. So I think that for me, it's played a big role. I felt like I've had faith through my whole journey. I haven't had easy times. Everybody has bad times. I've gone through some tough stuff, just like everybody else. So this quote from Jim Rohn, you know, he says, it's not what happens that determines your life future. It's not what happens. It's what you do about what happens. And so I realized that I had a choice and I realized that my choice was that God or whatever you believe in is with you and you can lean into that when you need to. Beautiful message. Thank you for sharing that. Now to our audience, please go to BlaineTedx.com. Blaine, what will they find there? Yeah, so BlaineTedx.com. So in that TEDx talk, I talk about a little bit about myself and my history, but really I talk about white table, what you think about, you bring about, and how to use that in your life. And I give you one little hack, kind of like the 21 second habit and, and the 30 minute hour. I give you this little mind hack to remind yourself of your bring about statement automatically 60 to 100 times a day. So that helps to program it into your subconscious mind, which will then help you find the things that you're looking for. Because what you think about, you do bring about. So you're thinking about it, but then you bring it about. You take the action steps that appear. So in that talk, I talk about that and give you a nice, elegant way to program your subconscious. I've been there already. So I want to say to the audience, you need to go there and listen to this talk. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Blaine. Thank you for sharing. And wow, you are the chief results officer. This is amazing. (laughs) And I think we're all going to be little mini, mini results people now. Thanks to your talk. Thank you. I love that. I I feel blessed to be able to share when I can, where I can. I'll end with this. The bad news is time flies. The good news, you're the pilot. You're the pilot. So take that pilot seat on your life and fly that time in the best way that you can. Uh, Great message. Thank you, Lane. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do me two massive favors. One, please share it with someone that you know would benefit from this information. And secondly, please leave us a review in your podcast listening app. This will help us grow the show and get bigger and bigger guests that will benefit you even more. Thank you so much for that. And again, thank you for your time. I absolutely value your time. Thank you for spending time with us listening to the Reinventing Perspectives podcast. Thank you and see you again next week.